But I'm telling you what, something happened to me this week as I read through the Gospel of Luke. And my, my family will testify to this, that it was like I was bouncing around. I was full of joy and excitement and hope. And, and, and so some of the things that, that, that happened were I was reminded, obviously, of the greatness and the goodness of God. But I was also challenged in a few areas of my life, and I might share a few of those as we're, we dive into this, to this message, this overview of the Gospel of Luke. Um, but I was challenged in some areas also. And, and when we come face to face with God's kingdom and his truth, and we're willing to look at it straight in the eye and submit to it, there is a joy that will jump all over you like that once you submit to God's way. Even if you're just a little off, but you recognize that and you come back into agreement with us, there's, there's, a, with it, there's a joy that will come upon you and jump all over you, and that happened to me this week. So I just want to testify to that, that God's Word is living and active, and it will get you excited. Are you feeling kind of like dull in your walk with the Lord? Are you feeling a little off? Are you feeling like it's not all in, like not firing all cylinders, whatever? I'm just saying, an old guy, a pastor guy, who's supposed to, you know, be, oh, he's got it all together and he's always on fire. I'm telling you what, time in God's word works. It, it has its work with us and it'll get you bouncing around, jumping around and excited and sharing it with others. And that's a good thing. So Lord, have your way with us today as we dive in and just take a look at what, you're, what you have for us in your gospel of Luke. We love your word and we love you. In Jesus, your name we pray. Amen. All right, welcome back, Mission 27. It's not 2027, it's only 2023, but we are going through, the mission is going through the 27 books of the New Testament this year. The Lord just said, do it, and so we are doing it together. Each week, we are reading through a book of the New Testament together. You can read ahead, that's always encouraged, but I want to ask you to do this. Whatever book we're on this week, definitely read that book this week. You can read others too, but definitely Read that book this week. There's something about unity. Pastor Phil was talking about that as we were taking communion. This is a way for us to be unified all literally on the same pages together. So we've read through three books already of the New Testament. Start with the Gospel of Matthew. Then we went to Hebrews. Like, what in the world? Why is he jumping all over the place? And then we went over to James. These three books have one thing in common. What is it? Primarily written to Jewish believers. And we saw all this, this thing about fulfillment, about how Christ was the fulfillment, the fulfillment, the fulfillment. We saw the tie-in that the Old Testament and the New Testament have together. It's one story. It's his story. It's not broken up. The Old Testament is not old news. It's God's news about Jesus through and through from Genesis all the way through the good news of Jesus. Today we're going to look at the letters that pertain to the Apostle Paul. And then after those books, see I got a rhyme and reason for this. And I'm going to share it with you because people are getting a little squirrely and antsy. And I'm, I haven't gotten hate mail yet, but I, I feel like it's almost coming. Like, what are you doing? What book is next? Why are you doing this to me? Just go through it in the order that they gave it to us. And, and so here's the rhyme and reason, okay? We started with the three books primarily written to the Jewish audiences. The next thing that we're going to do is we're going to go to the books that pertain to the Apostle Paul. 
Then we're going to dive in to those books of the New Testament that are related to the Apostle Peter. And finally, we're going to finish off with the books of the New Testament that are associated with, written by, and brought to us through the Apostle John. You got it? All right, and it just so happens that brings us back to a gospel at the beginning of each one of these little segments of our study. It's exciting, and I'm having a ball with it already. So today, we're launching into the books associated with the Apostle Paul, and we're going to start with the gospel of Luke. And you might be thinking, why Luke? What does the gospel of Luke have to do with the Apostle Paul? Well, let's start answering that. We're going to start by looking at the man Luke. Who was Luke? Who was Luke? Well, this is one thing about Luke. Luke is the only Gentile used by the Holy Spirit to give us any scripture. He's the only Gentile writer in the Bible. The other 39 people that brought us, that the Lord used used to bring scripture, were all Jewish. You know, as I thought about that, I thought, how in the world... Can a Christian, how in the world can anyone who loves God's word ever be anti-Semitic? I'm serious. I mean, 39 of the 40 writers of the Bible were Jewish. Our Savior, Jesus, was Jewish. People get all weirded out about stuff. I don't understand that. Can we not just realize that God chose a people? He chose to bless a people, a nation, to be a blessing to us. And I would say, we've got this, we've got Jesus. What a blessing God has given us through the nation Israel, through the Jewish nation. But Luke, the only Gentile writer in the Bible, Luke was a doctor. He was a researcher. And I come from a family with a lot of doctors. My grandfather he was a doctor. He was actually ended up being the chairman of the board of the Mayo Clinic for many years, back in the 70s and everything. And um, my grandfather, he didn't come to Christ until the last six months of his life, like he was like 97 years old. And his big issue about the whole Jesus thing was, hey, virgin birth, impossible. Medically, couldn't happen. Foolishness. Resurrection of the dead, impossible, doesn't happen. I'm going to write the whole thing off. I'm going to write the whole thing off. He had issues understanding and believing and grasping the whole gospel because of those things. And here it is, is God is using a doctor, a medical mind, if you will, to talk to us and give us the most detailed perspective of the virgin birth. As he interviewed Mary herself, who talks time and time again about miracles. You see so many miracles in the Gospel of Luke, who highlights the resurrection of Jesus and even the ascension of Christ at the very end of his Gospel. The Lord chooses to use this doctor, this researcher, to do this for us. Luke came from a place called Antioch. It was a large city uh, in Syria where the believers, the people of the way, were first called Christians. Uh, Christians didn't name themselves that. It was was the people in Antioch that that called them Christians. And so Luke, coming all the way from Syria, he traveled a lot. And as he wrote the 
the Gospel of Luke and then the book of Acts, he did a whole lot of traveling as he interviewed people. And, and so he was down there at the Sea of Galilee and everything. And as you look at the Gospel of Luke, the other Gospels called the, the Sea of Galilee. But when you look in the Gospel of Luke, he calls it Lake Gennesaret. He calls it a lake. And so I thought the same thing. Check out this picture. Put this picture up on the screen, if you would. I, I don't know if we got this. Did we get this picture in there? Okay, so this is, this is me over at, this is at the Sea of Galilee or Lake Gennesaret. And so I'm from Minnesota. And so that's a land of 10,000 plus lakes, right? And so I've seen some big lakes. Lakes that you can't even see the other side. And so I show up at the Sea of Galilee, right? And I'm thinking, this is going to be a sea, like almost like a mini ocean. And I'm standing there on one side, and I'm like, I can see the other side. <laughs> That's a little underwhelming. And so I think it was the same way for Luke. When he shows up to the Sea of Galilee, when he's doing all of his interviewing and questioning and finding out about Jesus, he shows up, he says, it's a lake. We're going to call it a lake is what we're going to call it. So, so Luke calls it a lake. Uh, the other thing about, about Luke, because he was a Gentile, remember when we were in the Gospel of Matthew, and Matthew called it the kingdom of heaven instead of the kingdom of God? Because as a Jew, they didn't like to speak the name God and definitely not write the name God in that way. And so Matthew chose to use the term kingdom of heaven. Well, Luke has no problem mentioning and writing the name and the word God, and so he speaks of the kingdom of God in his gospel. So again, how is Luke associated with the Apostle Paul? Well, we look a little bit about who Luke is. Now let's look at who did, who did Luke write this gospel for? Matthew, he wrote it for Jewish believers and the Jewish people to show them that Jesus was a fulfillment very clearly of the Old Testament. Kept going back 16 times. Remember that? Fulfillment, fulfilled, fulfillment, fulfilled. Well, Here's who Luke wrote this gospel for, and we find that in Luke 1, verse 3. And he says, since I myself have carefully investigated everything from the beginning, I too decided to write an orderly account for you, most excellent Theophilus. So Luke is writing this gospel to one person. It's addressed to one person, most excellent Theophilus. It's also who he wrote the book of Acts to in Acts 1 verse 1. It says, in my former book, which is the gospel of Luke, in my former book, Theophilus, I wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. And then he talks about all the acts of the, the church and the apostles and Paul and so on and so forth. So you got Luke, this Gentile researcher, doctor guy, going out, and he's He's investigating the life and the ministry of Jesus, and he's writing his account to this guy called Most Excellent Theophilus. Most common theory about this guy, Theophilus, is that he was some kind of a Roman officer, or some kind of high-up ranking official in the Roman government. That's why Luke called him Most Excellent Theophilus. Now, why does that matter? Let's go into a little bit of church history. Let's go into a little bit of what, what so many who have gone before us have studied and done a lot of research and, 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 and found out a lot of context for us so we can better understand what we're really reading when we're reading God's Word. See, Luke 
had just left the Apostle Paul in Rome, who was imprisoned. How many of you know that Paul got himself imprisoned a few times, right? It happens, right? Well, at least it did, and it probably should happen more often to us. And it might happen a little more often with us in the future. Who knows, right? But, but so Paul got himself imprisoned a few times for doing what? For preaching the gospel of Jesus. And he was imprisoned in Rome, and Luke goes out on an investigative journey or mission, if you will, and he writes two volumes. He writes a gospel, and then he writes this book of Acts. And he sends his findings back to this high-ranking Roman official. What does that mean? Well, I believe, along with many others who've gone before me and studied this a whole lot, believe that Luke wrote these two letters, the Gospel of Luke and the book of Acts, to most excellent Theophilus for the purpose of getting the Apostle Paul acquitted, getting him freed from prison. Big reason. So this is how the Gospel of Luke is associated with the Apostle Paul. Luke writes a two-part defense for the Apostle Paul. He starts off with volume one, which is this Gospel of Luke, which gives a defense and speaks about the ministry of Jesus, this new faith that is in Christ Jesus. And then he goes into his second volume, which is the book of Acts, which he then talks about primarily, if you read the book of Acts, as we will here in a, in a few weeks, he talks primarily about the Apostle Paul, giving a defense for the ministry of the Apostle Paul who is fulfilling the ministry of Christ Jesus that he talked about in his Gospel, Luke. And so, if you read, if, as you read, not if you read, because you all are going to read it this week, right? Big thumbs up, two thumbs up, reading it, Gospel of Luke this week. So, as you read it, when you get to the end of it, and you can always read ahead and then go back if you want to, but, but when you get to the end of it, you're going to see that Three times in the Gospel of Luke, three times Luke mentions that Pontius Pilate finds Jesus innocent. Three times at the end. And you also see that Herod did too because Herod sends, sends Jesus back to Pilate, right? And so you see almost like this defense, like, hey, at the end of the Gospel of Luke, see, Jesus, he's innocent. He's innocent. When you look at the book of Acts, you're going to find by the end of the book of Acts, three different judges find the Apostle Paul innocent, innocent, innocent. So, both Luke, and this is why, this is why theologians and church historians believe that Luke and Acts were really, really written as a defense for the Apostle Paul. Because in both, you see this whole thing of, hey, innocent, innocent, and actually the whole presentation that Luke makes about Jesus and about Paul is they are innocent as it relates to Roman law. They've done nothing wrong according to Roman law. The only people that have an issue with Jesus and with the Apostle Paul are who? The Pharisees, the Jewish religious elites that didn't want anybody moving their cheese. If you've read that little book, Who Moved My Cheese, right? They didn't want anybody moving their cheese. Don't mess with our little, our little 
empire that we have here, man, we kind of like it the way it is. They're shaking it up. We got to stop this. It reminds me of Washington, D.C., but that's another story for another time. Nothing changes in this world, man. When people get power, they don't want to let it go. And they'll do whatever they have to do often to keep that, that power. So once you have this key and you have this understanding, you begin to see how the Gospel of Luke is very much associated with the Apostle Paul and even the book of Acts. So context is so important. By the way, um, you know, again, Paul found himself in prison a few times. And Luke, Luke had a lot of success. He got him released one time, and Paul got to do a whole nother one of these evangelism tours, right, where he got to get a whole nother group of churches started, a whole bunch of more communities, all understanding the gospel of Jesus. But ultimately, he got imprisoned, and it was over. It happens when you follow Jesus. Jesus says, in this life, you will have troubles. You know, so uh, it happens. Let's dive into the gospel of Luke. We're going to first just look at some of the uniqueness of Luke's gospel. So point number one is the uniqueness of Luke's gospel. One of the unique things is this, is that Luke did not write his gospel from firsthand experience. The other gospel writers, yes, firsthand experience. Luke did not have firsthand experience. He was not one of the 12 disciples of Jesus. He didn't walk with Jesus. He didn't know Jesus personally in that way, in the flesh, in that same way. Um, but Rather, Luke did a lot of interviewing, and he, got, he did a lot of research. And so he talked to people like Mark and Peter and Matthew and John and James and others. And it says this in Luke 1, that many have undertaken to draw up an account of these things that have been fulfilled among us, just as they were handed down to us by those from whom the first were eyewitnesses and servants of the word. And isn't this what a legal opinion needs? Eyewitness accounts. And so that's what Luke went out and did. He's like, I am going to write this letter to this most excellent Theophilus, and I'm not just going to kind of go with hearsay. I'm going to get eyewitness accounts of this whole thing called Jesus and the gospel. So that's what Luke did for us. Now, I want to put up a chart here that I found. You're not going to be able to really read it or look at it. That's not the point. The point is this, is that that third column that you see on the screen, that's the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Mark is the second column to the left. That's the shorter one, right? It's the shortest of the Gospels uh, and, and the shortest amount of content. I want you to see all the yellow uh, in column C. All the yellow in column C is all the unique stuff that you find in the Gospel of Luke that is not in any other Gospel. So that's, that's why I put it up there. There's a lot of unique stuff. There's a lot of, a lot of things that, that you're only going to find in the Gospel of Luke and not in any of the other Gospels. Luke did a very good and a very thorough job investigating and putting together this defense and this material for the most excellent Theophilus. Okay, most of Luke's material about the birth of Jesus came directly from Mary. He interviewed her. He sat with Mary and talked with Mary. How did this happen? Mary, how did this all go down? I want to hear your perspective. 
And so he got Mary's perspective, and he shared that perspective with us in his gospel. You have things like Mary's song when you look in the gospel of Mary early on. There's this old little section called Mary's song. You don't see that anywhere else. But he spent good time with Mary. He heard her heart, how impactful this was, how beautiful this was. You have the interaction that Mary had with Elizabeth. Remember, Elizabeth is John the Baptist's mother. And you have that whole story and that interaction. I mean, could you imagine how just that would just pull you in as you're sitting here talking with Mary and she's talking about, yeah, I went and saw Elizabeth and like we, we greeted and, and the baby inside of her leapt and it was just like this miracle God show up moment kind of a thing. Luke captures that for us. I, I believe it's an amazing picture that, that when when Jesus shows up in somebody's life, kind of like what happened to me this week, you can't help but leaping for, leaping for joy. You can't, it, it changes you. It causes you to come alive. There's, a, there's a, a reaction that happens when you come into the presence of Jesus. And that's what happened with John the Baptist, even while in the womb of his mother Elizabeth. Pretty amazing. We find that. We find that in the Gospel of Luke. You have the genealogy of Jesus in the Gospel of Luke. You might be thinking, well, we already looked at that in the Gospel of Matthew. Why do we need to see that again? And then you look at it and you go, well, wait a minute. This is different. They got it wrong. You see, you can't trust the Bible. They got it all messed up. Matthew says this. Luke says this. What's up with that? And they think, well, we got you, Christians. We got you on this one. And not realizing that as you look closer, that, that Luke is giving us the genealogy of Jesus from Mary's line. We got Matthew gives it from Joseph's line. Luke gives us Jesus' genealogy from Mary's line. Now, Joseph and that line, that's the legal line. That's, that, he, that, that makes Jesus the legal descendant of David, meaning he's the son of David. Now, you got Mary's line. That means he, he's the bloodline of David. It's the both and perspective. God just wanted to make sure nobody had any, any confusion about who Jesus is and that he is the son of David. He is the fulfillment of those prophetic words. You got stories like how still early on in the Gospel of Luke. And I'm just running through a few things that are, that are in here. You got, you got the story about, remember how, how Mary and Joseph, they lost Jesus, right? You're like, I, you have, well, I thought he was with you. I know you parents have never done that with your kids, right? You're in a store or whatever. I thought, or heaven forbid, you know, you, you, you walk in the house and you're like, well, where's, where's little Johnny? I thought you got, I thought, oh, he's still in the car. Oh, my goodness, you know. Anyway, I'm, it actually happened like real life, right, with with Mary and Joseph, but it wasn't just like three minutes. It was three days that they, that they didn't know where Jesus was for three days. But, but we see that story, so like it's, it's important though. Jesus had just turned 12 years old. Do you know what happens in, in the Jewish nation when, when a young man turns 12? Yeah, he goes from a boy to a man, right? From a boy to a man. It's called a bar mitzvah, right? So, so when, 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 a, when a boy is a boy... He's mom's responsibility. He really is like a mama's boy. 
and mom's in charge of them, and, and mom has the main responsibility for that boy. But when the boy becomes a man, he becomes the father's responsibility. And from that moment on, it's the father who was supposed to bring his son along with him and teach him and train him and to bring him as part of the work that he is doing. I wish we saw more of that in our culture today. I think that's so healthy and so missing in our culture today. And so Jesus just turns 12. Mary and Joseph spend a little bit of time in Jerusalem with Jesus. They take off, and all of a sudden they realize, where's Jesus? Well, Mary, I thought he was with you. Isn't he your boy? And she's like, hey, buddy, he became a man. He's your responsibility now. What are you talking about? And they're frantic, and they run back to Jerusalem. They find him in the temple, and Jesus says this. Jesus says, didn't you know that I had to be in my father's house? He just became a man. It was time for him to be about his father's business. Even at the young age of 12, Jesus knew who he was. And he knew whose business that he was to be about when he walked on this earth. Yet he submitted himself to his earthly father, Joseph, and went back with him and helped him in the shop and, 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 and did all of that. Isn't that beautiful? Isn't that amazing? Look for those things as you read God's word. Those deep things, those, those aha, wow, that's beautiful kind of moments that God reveals to us. You're going to find those in the Gospel of Luke. Luke also includes something else unique. Yeah, so Jesus gets baptized by, by John the Baptist, and John the Baptist had an issue with that. He didn't really feel like he was worthy to, to baptize Jesus, and I get it, man. I mean, come on. John the Baptist knew who he was and knew who Jesus was. and I get it, but, but, but Jesus wanted to be this example, and he, and he was water baptized. And I just want to take a moment and say, water baptism is not optional. It's not. It's an act of obedience to our Lord and Savior, Jesus, who in his great commission told us to, to go baptize people. In the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Teach them all that I've commanded. So I just want to encourage you, if you've not been water baptized, I really would love for you to contact one of us here at the church. I'd say Pastor Phil, contact Pastor Phil, and, and, and he'll help get things set, and we'll get you dunked in that water. We'll get you baptized into Christ Jesus right away. It's important. You, you don't have to be baptized to be saved, but if you're saved, you will want to be baptized. You will want to be associated with Christ in that way. It's a beautiful thing. And even Jesus, the one you would think, why would he need to be water baptized? He's, he's God incarnate. Yet he humbled himself to that place of water baptism. And here's what happened. The Gospel of Luke. Luke, Luke uh, discovered something in his investigation of Jesus. He discovered that, that when Jesus came out of the waters of baptism, that he prayed. You're going to find a whole lot about prayer in the Gospel of Luke. A whole lot about it. So he comes out of the waters of baptism and he prays. And what happens when Jesus, after being water baptized, prays? The Holy Spirit comes upon him. And he is overcome, baptized in the Holy Spirit at that moment. And then launched into 
his earthly ministry after that. He's water baptized. He prays. The Holy Spirit comes upon him, and he's launched into earthly ministry. I would say, man, if if that's how it works with Jesus, how much more do we need? All of those. All of those. So, Luke is purposeful about presenting the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You will see it in the life and in the gospel of Jesus here in in Luke. You're going to also see it all over the place as we get into the book of Acts. The place, the importance of the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Luke's version of the Sermon on the Mount is different. And um, it was a sermon given on a plane, not on a mount. And people again go, see, man, they got it all messed up in the Bible. And then in, in Luke, it like uses different words in the sermon. I mean, one of these dudes, Matthew or Luke, got it wrong. Somebody got it wrong. And we, we don't understand that Jesus went everywhere preaching the kingdom. He went everywhere giving this message of the kingdom. Blessed are the poor in spirit as he's on the mount giving the Sermon on the Mount. And he's, he's in another place, and it was a flat place. It was a plain. And he's giving this message about the kingdom of God. Blessed are the poor in this case. He doesn't say poor in spirit, but he just says the poor. And then he goes on in, in, this, in this version of this sermon. Like, by the way, if I gave this sermon a week from now, the same one, even with the same notes, it would come out different. And you'd go, man, he messed it up. Jesus, it's recorded in the Gospel of Luke in this sermon on the plain, very sermon similar to the Sermon on the Mount, but he also, he'll say, blessed, 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 and then he'll say, whoa, whoa, whoa. Not like, whoa, 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 stop, 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 but like, damned, that kind of woe, cursed. You're like, Jesus said that? Jesus said that. He said that. Jesus went everywhere and he preached the kingdom. He talks about, you read in in the different gospels about how Jesus tells us to go be salt and light, right? You're the salt of the earth. You're the light of the world. Go be salt and go be light. And the Gospel of Luke gives us a little bit different perspective on the whole salt and light thing. In the Gospel of Luke, in chapter 14, Luke records Jesus as saying this, salt is good, and I say amen to that, by the way, and I like a lot of it on my steak. But anyway, salt is good, 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 good. Salt is good, but if it loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? And he says this about salt. If it loses, it, it won't be good for what? It is fit neither for the soil nor for the manure pile. It is to be thrown out. Now, this is a different perspective about the role of salt. And again, who is salt? We are the salt of what? The church, the earth, the world. Everything around us, what God has created. And what is created is created to ultimately glorify Him, but it's messed up. Our job as salt, according to the Gospel of Luke, is to help make good things grow so that we would be fit for the soil, to help make good things grow, but also to help keep bad things from spreading. 
That's why you put salt on a manure pile, to help keep the bad things from spreading, like the odor, the disease, and all of those types of things. And I'm going to say right now, our world needs a church that is this kind of salt. Not just like table salt that, man, we flavor everything, we make everything taste a little bit better. Isn't that, isn't that awesome, right? Although I do love table salt too much, but I love it. But, but the world needs a church that's going to help good things grow and help prevent bad things from spreading. That's our role. We're the salt of the earth. And we have to get out of the four walls of the church if this is going to happen. We got to get out there and be this kind of salt, fertilizing the good, helping prevent the bad stuff from spreading. And we do it for His glory. Let's go to point number two. You've got uh, the power of the parable. You're going to find a whole lot of parables and a whole lot of Jesus and teaching and the kingdom presented in these parables. I love parables. They're awesome because they make you have to sit and think. You know, it's good to have to think a little bit, not just go to OpenAI, chat, GBT, GPT, you know, and just put in something and let it spit out the answer to you. That's a scary future. But anyway, um, the parables. Luke, in my opinion, of, of all the Gospels, best demonstrates how Jesus is the master of the parable. He's, I mean... Unbelievable what Jesus is able to teach through these parables. Two unique, the most famous of all parables, I would say, that are out there are found actually in the Gospel of Luke and only in the Gospel of Luke. And the first one is the parable of the Good Samaritan, which is found in chapter 10 of the Gospel of Luke. How many of you like that? The Good Samaritan story. It's unbelievable. How, how important is that for us to understand the kingdom of God? Is, is that, that parable about the Good Samaritan? It's so important. How important it is for this world to actually hear that parable and that story of the Good Samaritan. Super important. In fact, it's that particular parable that I actually share when I do the fundraising at the annual, annual gala for Ascend which is the, the ministry that, that does the I help stuff as well as a lot of other stuff. And they always have me kind of do the clothes and ask for the money. Aren't you glad I don't ask for money every single Sunday? If I did, I'd be good at it. You all would be, you know, selling your houses and all that. But anyway, I'm just saying. So they asked me to do that as a sin. They asked me to do the, do the big ask for the money. And I share the parable of the Good Samaritan. I let Jesus' parable do the ask, do the heavy lifting. He's better at that than I am, right? And so... Good Samaritan, look, when someone's in need, we don't just walk by them. We don't, instead, what do we do? We stop and we help them. We give them what we have. And this is what I love about this. And I think this is, this is in my opinion, the bigger picture of why Jesus even shared this parable. Because this is exactly what God has done for humanity. We're lying there. Bleeding out. Dirty. Broken. Foreigners actually enemies of God from a different nation. Enemies of God bleeding and dying. And what has the Lord done for us? Did he walk by us? Does he walk by the lost and the hurting and the dying? No. He walked right up to us and he gave us exactly what we needed. Help. Salvation. That's the kingdom of God. That's the heart of God. 
provision, atonement. And it's available to all who would simply reach out to anyone, even as enemies, especially as enemies, especially the sick, especially the dying. Then you have the other amazing parable, which is the, the prodigal son. How many of you enjoy that one? That's a good one, right? Some of you are like, yeah, I've been there, done that. Live that one out myself. But which part of that did you live out? We're going to look at that in just a second. Were you the younger son or were you the older son? We're going to look at that in just a minute. Anyway, both these parables, they offer such an important perspective on the heart of God for humanity. You want to get and, and expand your understanding of God's heart for humanity, read the Gospel of Luke. Read it. Listen to the heart of God. It's not all gushy-gushy either. But it's real. It's deep. It's sacrificial. Through and through. Especially for the lost. Especially for backsliders. But we miss so much of the depth of what God is really saying in His Word and in these parables that He gives us. Why? Because we do what we do. And we chop things up. We chop up God's word and we just, we just disconnect things and we lose the bigger picture and we lose the flow. We talked about that in the first message as we launched into Mission 27. It's good to get into the weeds. It's good to go deep. It's good to pick one, one statement and really, really unpack that statement. But if that's all we're doing we're missing the connection that God has and the bigger meta-narrative, the bigger, the bigger story and, and perspective that God wants us to have as we get the entirety of what he's saying in his scripture. That's why I want you as much as possible at one sitting, one sitting as much as possible, read through the entire book each week. And then you can go back and, and take different segments. But as much as possible, one sitting. It'll blow your mind. I'm telling you, some things will happen that haven't happened before as you're in these books, if you'll sit through. But it's two and a half hours. When's the last time you watched a movie that was two and a half hours? Probably not long ago. When's the last time you spent two and a half hours on social media? Don't raise your hand. And it's not just the young people either. You can do it. Set it aside. God woke me up at four in the morning to do it. If that's what it takes, I pray that that's what he does to you. Maybe three in the morning for some of you. Maybe two in the morning. You're like, that's a curse. No, that's not a curse. That's a blessing that I'm praying over you right now. That had me jumping and bouncing up and down all week because of that. So good. But look at the flow. Look what happens when we actually don't chop things up. When we allow God's word to flow and say what it has to say in our lives. Look at these parables. It's in, in the parables that we find in Luke chapter 15. When you're in Luke chapter 15, you're going to see a whole host of parables. They go all the way through Luke chapter 16 and on and on and on. So rich. But they're not all disconnected from each other. It's not like, oh, here's a cool parable. Here's a cute little one over here. Oh, I'm going to take this one to apply it here and this one to apply here. They're all related, man. They all have something to say. At the beginning of Luke chapter 15, we read this, and, and it's all set up. Luke sets up the whole scene. He says, hey, now the tax collectors and the sinners, he didn't say hey, but I, I put hey in there. Hey, the tax collectors and the sinners were all together around to hear Jesus. Who was sitting around to hear Jesus? The tax collectors and the sinners. I'm going to tell you what. 
Sinners still want to hear Jesus. They do. Y'all saw that movie, Jesus Revolution? Went and saw it Thursday with Velvet. Whole bunch of sinners back in the late 60s, early 70s. They wanted to hear Jesus. Whole bunch of sinners in our world today. They want to hear Jesus, and they need to hear Jesus. So the tax collectors and the sinners, they were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees, these religious, super religious, they got it all together. People, they and the teachers of the law who were outside, they were muttering and saying, this man welcomes sinners and eats with them. Oh, Pastor Eric goes to a CrossFit gym where, where they play yucky music and use the F word. Oh, I'm sorry to throw that out there, but I do do that. And it bothers me sometimes. But then I realize, you know what? God has me there for a purpose. Has me there for a purpose. Has me there for a purpose. Then, in that setting, where you got all the, the sinners around Jesus and all the religious people outside criticizing and all that kind of stuff, in that setting, Jesus begins to tell stories, and he tells a bunch of parables. Story number one, parable number one, he talks about a lost sheep who knew it was lost. Then he talks about a lost coin, didn't really know it was lost. I mean... So he got lost sheep and lost coin. He goes in talking about two, two sons who were lost. Two sons who were also lost, but different kind of sons. One son knew he was lost, found himself in pigsty, understood he was lost, repented, went back to his father. The older son, he didn't know he was lost, but he was just as lost. He was all messed up. He thought he had it all together, kind of like the religious people thought they had it all together, right? Didn't realize he was lost. Didn't realize what he had, what they had, what he had, and what had already been fulfilled. Blinded. Jesus is telling these parables for a purpose, understanding the audience that's listening and hearing what he has to say. As you are in the Gospel of Luke, what is he saying to you? What is he speaking to you in these parables? Because he was speaking to me in these parables. He was challenging me. And when I allowed him to challenge me, when I allowed... Myself to come into agreement with him. That's what I was saying earlier, man. That's when I was getting joy in my spirit. But we got to listen. We got to be like those sinners and tax collectors who are gathering around to hear Jesus. Got the stories four and five. You got that shrewd manager story. Everybody's like, what's up with that story about that dude who knew he was going to get fired, and so he took advantage before he was fired to go give all the handouts to his buddies so they'd take care of him later on. Again, it sounds like politicians in Washington. It totally does. You know, so you got that guy who's not rebuked. He isn't condemned, but you got this other really rich guy who didn't do anything wrong, all he did was use his wealth for himself, but he's condemned to hell where the other shrewd guy who did this crazy stuff, he's like applauded. What's the difference there? Well, hey, one person actually used what they had in their influence to help others. The other one took everything he could get for himself. These are the things that we learn from the parables of Jesus that are going to challenge the way you think. I'm going to tell you, when I was reading through these parables, I mean, so I'm a guy who's... I used to be in business. You all know, if you know my testimony, I was all wrapped up about money. Money was my thing. I want to be a millionaire by age 35, all this kind of stuff. It was, it was about money, 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 money. Come on, be successful. Let's make it happen. 
And, and the Lord got a hold of my heart and changed things. I, had, I sell a bunch of stuff, went to ministry. Big time kind of change, all right? So I've already had a lot of that kind of change in my life. But as I was reading these parables this week, boom, it was hitting me like, maybe not the same level, but it was still hitting my heart. Going, Eric, there's still stuff there. There's still stuff there. You're still too focused. You're going to find in the Gospel of Luke, man, he has some strong words to say about wealthy people. And everybody in this room is wealthy. I'll tell you right now, you're all wealthy. You all are wealthy. So, listen to what Jesus has to say in this gospel. Let it challenge you. Let it change your thinking and walk away full of joy. It's good. It's good stuff. But all these parables, they build on each other. And they teach us the bigger picture of God's kingdom and God's way. And they warn us, especially against being religious, especially about putting our hope in money, especially about living our lives to gain wealth and to, and to make sure that we got it all together and that we, we die with enough. Foolishness, y'all. It's just foolishness. So again, don't chop up the Word of God. Don't chop up the Gospel of Luke. Read it through and through. Let it impact your life. Don't live on scraps alone. And when I mean that, I mean like little pieces of God's Word. It's good, again, to have little pieces and to really enjoy that bite that you're having and really focus on it. But, but, but we also are meant to experience the full course of everything that God has, the whole meal, enjoy the whole meal. So that's my hope, my desire for us as we do this Mission 27. That as you read through entire books of the Bible, that you get a, the perspective of the whole meal experience as you're reading God's Word. And it's going to impact you, and it's going to do some things in you that are going to be really special and impactful. Point number three, and I'm going to run through these last two really quickly, is you're going to find a gospel concerned with the supernatural. A gospel concerned with the supernatural. In Luke 24, 49... Luke says, I'm going to send you what my father has promised, but stay in the city until you have been clothed with power from on high. Luke talks about the Holy Spirit a lot. He talks about the power of God. He mentions angels through and through his gospel, and 23 times in the book of, of Acts, he talks about angels. He speaks again, like I mentioned earlier, about the baptism of the Holy Spirit and the place that that has in the kingdom of God and in life with Christ Jesus. He speaks about it time and time again. He, you find it in his parables even, the, the parable about the persistent friend who goes and he says, he knocks on the door late at night and he says, give me some food, man, I'm hungry, give me some food. By the way, don't do that to me, okay? Don't, don't be messing with me at, at two in the morning, all right? I already trying to sleep hard enough. But he goes and he's knocking on the door, give me some food, give me some food, give me some food. I'll come back later, I'm already in bed, don't mess with me, don't mess with me. And he keeps knocking, he keeps knocking, and what happens, the friend gets up and gives it to him. And this is the point Jesus makes about that whole thing. He says, how much more will your Father in heaven give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him. Again, the importance of the Holy Spirit, the baptism of the Holy Spirit, the spiritual move of God, and the spiritual life that is supposed to be involved in following Jesus. And finally, Luke's gospel talks about praying. You find Jesus praying all the time in Luke's gospel. And my prayer is that your time in the gospel of Luke 
this week is going to drive you to the place of prayer. If Jesus himself found it so important to get away and pray, how much more do you need to get away and pray and sit and listen and receive what God is saying and doing? I'll go ahead and answer that for you. You need it a lot, a lot. And then finally, the Gospel of Luke is a gospel for the people. Can you say it's for the people? For the people. people. (laughs) Anyway, it is. It's a gospel for the people. It's a gospel for everybody. Matthew, he highlighted Jesus as the king of the Jews. Here's what Luke has to say. Luke, Luke declares Jesus to be the Savior of the world, and he underscores this big message, and he says that my house, he has Jesus saying, my house shall be full. He's the Savior of the world, and his house shall be full. All kinds of people that Jesus ministers to, we find in the Gospel of Luke. We already talked about sinners and tax collectors. He ministered to prostitutes. He ministered, you talk, well, they're sinners. You're right, they are, but anyway. He ministered to, to the poor, to Gentiles, to widows. All through his ministry, Jesus did this. But Luke wants us to really understand that Jesus came for all flesh. He came for everybody. And that's a message that we see through and through the Bible. Jesus didn't come just for a select group of people. He came for everyone, for God so loved the world that he sent his son Jesus. For all who would believe, all who would receive him. And Luke has that message that this is a gospel, this is good news for all. For all. It's good news for you. And I know as you're in the gospel of Luke this week, you're going to get excited like I did this week. Because it is good news. I've heard it said that gospels, Luke's gospel is a, is a human gospel, meaning it's going to challenge and encourage your everyday living. It's written for us, for people who need to hear the good news, need to understand the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. Luke's gospel is also a heavenly gospel because you're going to find a whole lot about supernatural. You're going to see all kinds of miracles in there. You're going to see a whole lot about prayer. You're going to see a whole lot about, about the, the baptism of the Holy Spirit. You have the whole experience of the resurrection and the ascension, all that supernatural that we're going to find in the gospel of Luke. And the gospel of Luke, it said, is also a happy gospel. Because, again, it's a gospel for everyone. And it's going to make you happy. God really loves us. And he really saves us. It's a great gospel. You're going to enjoy reading it this week. Let's stand up and close.